Welcome to Body Sculpt of New York, six weeks of fitness podcast, where we hope to inform, motivate, encourage, and inspire you towards living a healthier lifestyle. And now, here's your host, the president of Body Sculpt of New York, Vince Ferguson. Hi, welcome to episode 163 of my six weeks to fitness podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, there are several types of yoga that can help you improve your strength, your balance, relieve tension in your body, quiet your mind, and help you relax. But what if you're new to yoga? How do you choose the right yoga style for your body type, personality, and goals? To answer this and many other questions about yoga, I had the privilege of interviewing Brett Larkin, founder of Uplifted Yoga, whose content on YouTube is streamed over 3 million minutes each month. recommendation, as strange as it sounds, would be to do a lot of experimentation. I think one of the things I see happen a lot is someone will go to the yoga studio closest to their house, or they'll do one YouTube video routine. And if they don't like it, they kind of just write off yoga as a whole, which would kind of be like writing off speaking when you've only, you know, like sampled one language. Like think about how many languages there are in our world and dialects and things. So I really, really encourage people to kind of approach it like you'd approach um, finding a mate. Like you're going to date a bunch of different people and sometimes it's going to work out and sometimes it's not. And you just want to have fun. So to kind of sample a lot of different styles. And I, I actually have a little challenge on my YouTube where it's called Find Your Style. And I, I introduce people to five different styles over five days. Brett Larkin is the founder of Uplifted Yoga, an online yoga and meditation community empowering students to personalize their practice and ignite their best life on and off the mat. She's instructed at top studios, companies like Google and Pinterest, and leads the world's most interactive online yoga teacher training programs. She teaches to a social media following of over 400,000 people. Amazing. Her content on YouTube is streamed for 3 million minutes each month. And it is a pleasure and an honor to have Brett Larkin on my Six Weeks of Fitness podcast. Brett, how are you today? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Well, thank you for taking time out from your busy schedule to be here today. But before we talk about your company, Uplifted Yoga, Tell my listeners more about your personal journey into health and wellness. Where did it all begin for Brett Larkin? I'm someone who suffered a lot of anxiety, especially in my late teens and early 20s. I felt panicked all the time for no reason. It's hard for me to even really remember back on that period of my life because I can't even remember how I was functioning, honestly. And for me, yoga ultimately became this doorway that led to a completely different experience of reality, where I was able to be fully present, (laughs) um, let go of a lot of the fears and negative predictions, and kind of figure out how my mind had been patterned uh, since I was really young, and kind of rewrite a new narrative for myself. So for me, it's been very much both a physical practice, but also something that really changed the way I see the world. There's so much rich philosophy in this practice as well for those who are interested in that. Hmm. So what was it about yoga, though, that attracted you to that type of training? 
Well, it's interesting because I was a big naysayer of yoga, maybe like some of your listeners. Okay. I, uh, as, a, as a child, I was a ballet dancer. I was, you know, very into kind of hardcore dance and, you know, very intense training. So I always thought yoga was sort of for losers <laughs> who just wanted wow. to like stretch and sing. And um, I kind of naysayed the whole thing. But, you know, then I had a dance injury. And I started exploring Pilates and I had a boyfriend at the time who said, Hey, you know, this is interesting. You are really into Pilates and he and I have been kind of dabbling in a little bit of meditation. So, you know, Pilates and meditation, why don't you try yoga? You know, that could be really great for you. It makes a lot of sense. And I was like, absolutely not. That's for (laughs) weak people. Like I'm super strong. I'm a dancer. Um, but he kind of encouraged me to go. And so my first yoga experience was, was with Bikram yoga, which some of your listeners may be familiar with or have done. It's the yoga in the super hot, I think it's 105 oh, yeah. degrees or more room. You do a set set of postures. There's a mirror so you can really analyze your form. And uh, it's a very intense experience. And so that actually was the yoga that resonated with me the most at first, because it was kind of the most uh, familiar to me and that it felt like a really intense dance or, you know, training experience type of class of the mirror and everything. So that was sort of my gateway, my first yoga experience. So it was very much about the physical and the sweat and, you know, everyone's different and is going to find a different style of yoga that meets you where you are in this moment. So I always really encourage people don't write off yoga like I did until you try a lot of different styles because there's, so many flavors out there, more than I think people are even aware of. And of course, that first Sikram journey led to then a much deeper exploration where I ended up eventually trying every style and studying with every school. And, um, you know, it, it spurred a whole exploration from there. But that was my initial starting point. Big room yoga. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> every time I hear it, I, I, I cringe because I know it's very hot. It's so hot. And it's funny because, I mean, I haven't done Bikram yoga now in probably 10 years, but that was my entry point. So that's another thing I encourage people to be open to with like the style of yoga you start with or that you might be attracted to initially might not be the one you end up sticking with long term. So it's important to have an open mind and kind of be ready to go on the journey. And I was going to ask you, what type of yoga would you recommend for a beginner to try? Because I think if someone exposed me to big room, big room yoga right away, that would have turned me off completely. Right. So my recommendation, as strange as it sounds, would be to do a lot of experimentation. I think one of the things I see happen a lot is someone will go to the yoga studio closest to their house, or they'll do one YouTube video routine. And if they don't like it, they kind of just write off yoga as a whole, which would kind of be like writing off speaking when you've only, you know, like sampled one language. Like think about how many languages there are in our world and dialects and things. So I really, really encourage people to kind of approach it like you'd approach um, finding a mate. Like you're going to date a bunch of different people and sometimes it's going to work out and sometimes it's not. And you just want to have fun. So to kind of sample a lot of different styles. And I, I actually have a little challenge on my YouTube where it's called Find Your Style. And I, I introduce people to five different styles over five days. 
because that was one of the things that I saw um, really prevented people from enjoying this practice. They just kind of like have one impression of it and then think that was the whole story. When really there's yin, there's restorative, there's vinyasa, there's hatha, even within that hatha word, there's ashtanga, there's uh, gentle yoga, there's vini yoga, there's, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So I really believe there's something for everyone. And I think you need to really think about who you are, what your background is. Like if you're kind of more that intense athlete person, like I was trying to do yin or gentle yoga, it's probably just going to be too far from where you are right now to maybe appreciate it. So you might want to start with a more athletic style like Bikram or Ashtanga. If you're someone who has no fitness background whatsoever, you know, those styles are going to be insane, right. right? Like don't do those. You might want to start with, you know, yin or even restorative yoga or something like very beginner gentle hatha, you know, just to kind of gently get your body moving. So my, it's really like a dating game, I guess. <laughs> like date all the huh. styles of yoga, try all the <laughs> teachers in your area uh, I like that. Yeah, that's my <laughs> biggest tip for everyone. Great tip. I like that advice. I truly do. Now, would you say that yoga is a lifestyle or just a way to exercise and meditate? Oh, that's such a loaded question. It's so interesting because when we look back at a lot of the ancient texts, what we see is that yoga was being written about as a means to achieve enlightenment, right? Or a means to uh, connect to whatever is beyond this plane of consciousness that we live in. And that the physical postures and the breath work are all kind of like a tool, a medium for that bigger aim. And then over the years, um, a lot of the physical piece of yoga got fused with uh, a lot of like the aerobics movement that was happening in the 70s and 80s. And there's sort of like a modern yoga that's emerged that's in many ways quite different than what we see displayed in the yoga sutras or the hatha yoga uh, pradipika or something like that. So it's, it's really what I think um, is it's what you want to take out of it. If you just want to use yoga to improve your breathing and just really think of it as like a breathing practice or a mindfulness practice that helps with stress reduction, you can view it through that lens, uh, you know, by putting on that pair of glasses and looking at the body of work that is yoga through that framework. And there's so many great mindfulness-based programs or anxiety reduction programs, many that have huge scientific studies from major universities behind them now. Uh, for other people, right, you might be actually drawn to yoga because of the, the spirit, spiritual side of it right? You're kind of resonating with maybe the chanting or what's called bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion. You're looking to connect to something bigger and that's available too. Um, then others are more, you know, I just want to use this for cross training, right? This is something that is going to, you know, improve my overall fitness and they're more focused on the postures. So it's kind of like this buffet where, again, finding the right teacher and the right style is so important because, Different styles bring in more of like uh, Kundalini yoga, for example, which I do a lot of now is pulling in a ton of the chanting, the spirituality, you know, all those things. So if someone's not interested in that, that's not going to be the right style for them right now. Right. Um, hmm. So right. it's, 
it's a buffet. And so I think you can make it, you can make it a lifestyle. You can make it a religion if you want to, or you can, you know, really just see it as something like Pilates or, uh, you know, breath work that is helping, whether it's cross training or helping with anxiety, uh, pull out what, what works for you and try not to label the practice as, as a whole. That's nice. So basically yoga can be mental, spiritual, or physical. Yeah. And I think in its most beautiful form, it's all three, but that's not always, people aren't always uh, either ready or wanting that, in which case you can completely divide it up. And like I said, it's like a buffet, like just take what works for you and leave the rest. Huh. Again, excellent advice. <laughs> now, do you, do you associate yoga with Hinduism? Mm. Well, that comes back to a little bit what we talked about earlier, where when we look at the um, origins of yoga, it did develop in um, India, Southeast Asia, and these countries later, much, much later than when the yogic texts were written by these Brahman sages. Much, much later, these are areas of the world that developed uh, into different religions, right? We, have, we see Buddhism, we see Hinduism, um, but most of the yogic texts, and I'm not as much an expert on this as some people, like some of my teachers, but they, they, they predate a lot of what uh, th these religions look like now in the modern world. Hmm. <laughs> so right. um, I think you can practice yoga without dabbling in Hinduism at all. For those that are interested in those connections, there are certain texts and um, gods and goddesses and chants where you can forge that connection. So again, it's really up to you. Um, again, I think the biggest uh, maybe thing that I hope to share is like yoga as a word. It's like, what, what does that even mean anymore, right? It, it almost, it's like if we took a word like, um, aerobic exercise I mean there's so many different forms of how that looks like you know a long time ago we probably didn't even need to do it because we were like hunter-gatherers and running around all the time <laughs> and then it you right. know emerged and it looked like fencing or something and then it like changed and then it looked like a gym or kind of some of the stuff we see now it's the same with yoga um, even the way yoga was practiced in the ancient ancient times was so different depending on what region it was practiced in like, for example, up in the Himalayas originally where people were relatively safe, they were up in the mountains, cave dwelling. They practiced like a very meditative type of yoga that was focused more on kind of the spiritual aspects and uh, like seated meditation. If we look at uh, people who were living more uh, at the border where the Mongols were at the, the, these times, this thousands and thousands of years ago, their yoga was much more like what we see in, as Ashtanga yoga today, like very athletic, uh, because the, yes. the military was actually doing it. It was like training for them because uh, they lived uh -huh. in a place where war was constantly breaking out and they needed to defend themselves. So it's like even when we go back, 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 back in time, it's not like there's one style or one definition of what these practices are. It was very much variable based on people's kind of lifestyle and what, again, they needed to take out of the practice or uh, what made sense to take out of the practice. I don't know if that's helpful to think about, but um the, it is. It yeah, is. It's a broad perspective. Keep a broad perspective is what I'd say. Amazing. Yes. So it's not just one piece. It's a broad, a potpourri or whatever they call it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. 
Now, in yoga, you often you often hear the word chakras. Chakras, yes. Yes, what are they, and how do they affect our daily lives? So chakras, uh, I think of them as programs. They're considered energy centers. So some of your listeners may be familiar with, like, traditional Chinese medicine or acupuncture, which is really mainstream now. I think most insurance even covers acupuncture. So yes. the Chinese medicine system, they, they work with these acupuncture, um, they call it meridians, right, these lines in the body. And the, the yogic system, instead of calling those channels meridians, they call them nadis. But it's the same thing. It's basically like a pathway of energy from the body, in the body. So like you have a big heart, there's the heart meridian, the liver meridian, all these things. So the systems are the same, just using different words. And then in the, the yogic system, a chakra is where we see a lot of these uh, meridians or nadis intersecting. So if you imagine like a rotary in a busy uh, street or town, right, where all the cars are coming together, all the roads are coming together in this big rotary, um, the, those areas of the body get pulled out in the, the yogic philosophy as these energetic hubs. And the word chakra literally translates to mean like wheel or disc. Um, and I think of them as like a program because each of them resides in a different area along your spine and sort of governs a different, you know, saying it's an area of your life and oversimplification, but deals with a different uh, realm of how you interact with the world. So for example, your root chakra at the very base of your spine is very much associated with your sense of safety your security? Uh, are your needs being met? Are you getting enough food? Are you getting enough sleep? Things like that. While something like your throat chakra, which is obviously much higher up, is dealing with, well, how well do you communicate? How well do you listen? Do you uh, have trouble speaking up? Or are you kind of like the over-boisterous type who doesn't let other people get a word in edgewise, right? So each of us have these unique energy centers that are manifesting in different ways that kind of result in how our life unfolds, right? So uh, you might just be like, well, that's my personality. That's the way I am. But what yoga kind of teaches us is like, if you want to investigate these energy centers or work with them, you can kind of reprogram them. So just like when you uh, sometimes get an update, like I have an iPhone, but I think Android's the same. Like every six months, like there's a new operating system, right? Download the new system. Right. So we can, you know, kind of be unaware of these energy centers and just operate the way we do. Or we can be like, hey, I want to rewrite my programming around safety and um, getting enough sleep. Or I want to rewrite, like, kind of how I act and give and receive love and relationships by working with my heart chakra. So it's just an opportunity to bring more awareness into your life. And then the beautiful thing about the chakras is you can work with them physically by doing asana, you know, you can work with them on a meditative level, on a spiritual level. So kind of like we talked about before, there's a lot of different ways you can tap into them, or you can say, I'm not interested in the subtle body. This is, we're now in the realm of the subtle body of yoga. Like, I just want to stay focused on the athleticism, the yogic postures. So you, for those who don't resonate, they don't even have to go there, right? It's kind of just like this other layer of the practice that you can tap into if you choose to. I like it. I like that a lot. Can practicing a certain type of yoga bring abundance into your life or a chakra bring abundance into your life? Oh, I definitely think so. Yes, yes, yes. 
I love working with this theme of abundance and abundance comes ultimately from gratitude. They're linked. So in order to attract abundance, we need to shift into feeling grateful and a, and, uh, a sense of gratitude. So there's lots of wonderful practices that, that can help with that uh, classes on that specific theme. One of the biggest things that yoga helps with is just helping slow us down. So we can't be grateful if we're rushing or stressed, or I don't know, maybe someone out there can be, but I know for me <laughs> when I'm rushing and stressed, I'm not being, yes. uh, I'm not in a state of gratitude or reverence. I'm, I'm usually not being very kind to my family members who are near me. So counteracting that rushing and counteracting that stress and anxiety I think is so pivotal as a first step to even allow someone to whew, slow down, right? Step into those feelings of like, what am I grateful for? And what really separates yoga from all other forms of exercise is the focus on the breathing, the breath. So no matter what style you use, like if people are feeling overwhelmed listening to this, you know, honestly, it kind of doesn't matter because all the styles have this common thread of using the breath to calm the nervous system, to shift into what we call the parasympathetic nervous system, which is more of our rest and digest uh, uh, functions instead of being always on uh, kind of stressed out orange alert, uh, which is where we live most of our lives by default, just because of the way our society is set up and <laughs> functions. Like so much is being asked yes. of us, especially with technology and we're bombarded with information. Um, yes, we are. so, so that's the biggest thing, like just doing any kind of yoga, really doing the breathing. And if you commit to it, you'll see after most yoga classes, you feel calmer, right? You feel, uh, more grounded. You, you, you're feeling more in your whole body instead of just living up in your head with all your thoughts spinning. And that's usually how people are like, Oh, I, I like this feeling and how they end up coming back to classes. How do you find a good yoga instructor? What should you look for? It's a great question. I think someone who's talking a lot about the breath would be really important. I think someone who is constantly kind of challenging you to play, instead of saying the posture has to look just one way, kind of giving you a couple different options. Uh, that's what I really like and look for an instructor. So instead of it being really dogmatic and rigid, um, kind of being it more about finding your personal edge, because a lot of these asana, these um, kind of the alphabet of the yoga postures are going to look different on different people, right? Pending our height and our weight and um, our background and, you know, our prior athletic experience. So I think someone who's really encouraging you to explore rather than saying like, you have to get to this exact thing is something that I would recommend looking for someone who's talking a lot about the breath and then honestly, just someone who resonates with you. That's the most important thing. We all are going to have different teachers who resonate with us at different points in our journey. So your job is again, to just kind of do that dating work I talked about and, and find the one who's going to, you know, meet you where you are right now. Yes. Yes. Sounds really good. Now, Brett, you're not just another yoga teacher or instructor. You are what we call the gold or platinum standard, the creme de la creme of, of, of teachers. But from where and from whom did you get your training? So I studied with Alan Finger, who's such an incredible teacher. He was the original co-founder of Yoga Works, which is a huge yoga chain that some people may be familiar oh. with. So 
he was the person I originally did my training with in New York. And he has just a wonderful background in um, like Vini yoga, it's called. And he has a lot of knowledge about uh, Tantra, which isn't like anything, tantra, you know, people, you say Tantra and people think like Tantric sex and weird stuff. No, it's really a, a, a deep knowledge of uh, the, te- the ancient yoga texts and philosophies. Um, so I absolutely love his work. Anadea Judith is another huge teacher of mine and inspiration. So she's kind of the world's authority on the chakra system. Um, and she has a PhD. She's done a lot of work integrating the chakras into um, her work with patients as a psychotherapist. So she's an incredible resource and has lots of books on the chakras for people who are interested. Um, I love uh, some of my other teachers, Guru Singh, Kia Miller, Elena Brower, wow. different people, again, who resonate with you at different moments. So I think it's really important to, you know, find that teacher who resonates with you and then, you know, learn as much as you can from them, um, embody what they have to share, make it your own, and just keep building your, your own experience. So, yeah, those are some people who've been highly influential for me. So everyone had someone to help them get to where they are today, correct? Absolutely. And in the teacher training programs I run now, that's a lot of what we what we work on, right, is helping you find your own unique style, your own unique voice, figuring out, you know, what different parts of this lineage and this practice you want to blend together. Right? Do you want to teach something that's very spiritual or do you want to, you know, veer away from that? Um, these are all choices that even as instructors, we, we end up needing yeah. to make. Yeah. I see. Now you call your business uplifted. Yes. Where did that come from? Like, I don't know. Go ahead. Tell me. Uh, you know, I don't know either. It's when I started my what? initial, I mean, it, <laughs> what? it, it just kind of came to me when I was originally starting my own yoga community and kind of my own style. I noticed that one of the things I was really seeing within the community before it had an official name was just people being so encouraging of one another, kind of like really lifting each other up. Um, You know, all the programs and everything I do online is extremely interactive. So whether it's through our app or the trainings, it's like you're not practicing alone. It's always very uh, community-based. If you're moving through a program, it's cohort-based, meaning you're with the same students going through an experience at the same time, even though we're online. Um, so there's just a huge camaraderie about. And then obviously Uplifted is how I feel when I do yoga or after I do yoga. So that's kind of where the name came from. It just kind of came to me one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but at least you followed your, you know, your gut, your feelings, and you went with it because now it's extremely successful. And how did you get to this point though, Brett? What inspired you to turn your yoga expertise into a business and make it so successful online? I think, you know, life is so interesting because I originally was, I originally started posting videos online because I was too nervous to teach in person. So it, it, you? originally, really? yes, yes. Huh. It was a, so back in like 2011, it was a, it was almost like a cop out because I was still trying to build my confidence to audition for studios and that kind of thing. So I ended up teaching a lot online because for me, that felt less scary somehow. I didn't really think anyone would watch any of the videos I put up. You know, now the YouTube channel has over 400,000 subscribers. So it, it grew exactly like over the course of, of time. Um, 
but I think, you know, the like kind of I mentioned before, the community and the connection with the students and seeing how the training, whether it's a training plan they're doing in the Uplifted membership, kind of something smaller that we design for students or the full certification program. I think for me, what's most rewarding is really seeing how it affects all areas of their life. I mean, most people who come out of our programs or are part of the community say that, you know, the way they're speaking to their kids and their partner is different. The, the interactions, the relationships, it's like a, it's a complete um, shift, not just on the yoga mat, but in kind of how they're experiencing reality, the world, like the same thing I experienced as a young person once I started having some of these breathing techniques and tools uh, to help me cope with a lot of the anxiety and stress I was feeling. So I think that's what really drove me. I never really set out to be like, let's make this a business. It was always like, how can we just help and serve more people and, and connect with more people and grow the community? And I think that's um, part of what ultimately has made the business successful because it was never really about, you know, building some corporate thing or like the money or anything like that. It was always sort of just like a passion of mine, um, like almost like a side project. And then it just kept getting bigger. And now obviously it's like my full project, <laughs> but that was never that was never my intention. Um, so I'm just so grateful to the community because I think it's not just me. It's like, A, the, the team, you know, my team that now supports everything we do, and then our entire infrastructure of all our graduates, all our alumni, all our students. I mean, they're just the most incredible people. Do your students come from all across the country or any one particular area? They come from all over the world. It is so incredible the world yes i was in a facebook group for one of our trainings yesterday and it's like poland russia uh we've shipped our training manuals to zimbabwe like it's crazy and then of course i mean we have a lot of people in the united states but i would say 30 35 percent international and from everywhere it's amazing unbelievable brett (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I knew you were a rock star, but and wow. Well, it's really <laughs> fun because it makes the, the training experience so incredible because you're getting these perspectives from people all over the world, you know, which um, is so different than just doing something that's local. I mean, that has a beauty to it, too. But I think that's that's been something. I mean, every time we run a training, I learn so much from the students. I always tell them that, right, because they just have such different backgrounds and so many diverse ideas and it's just really uh, makes it really rich. Yeah. But is there like a a problem because of the language barrier? No, you know, one of the things that um, a lot of our international students appreciate is everything is recorded. So when you sign up for a training, you get pre-recorded content, whether as a student or a teacher, there's a lot of pre-recorded content. So they can rewatch, they can, you know, slow down. But even everything that we do live is, uh, they, they also get recordings to all of that. And then they have the manual to follow along. So for a lot of them, they're more comfortable with like written uh, English as opposed to spoken. So obviously you need to know English. I mean, otherwise it's not going to work. Yes. But they've said it's actually really <laughs> nice because if something's confusing, you know, they can just rewind, right, or listen to it again, which makes it in some ways better than actually like a, a live training where you don't have that option to press pause. Wow, what an amazing model, you know, business model that you have going. And I can speak for hours about it because it's just very, very exciting to me and interesting how you were able to do this 
But, you know, at this particular time, our country and the world is, are going through a, the coronavirus pandemic. And it's been a very challenging time mentally, spiritually, physically, and financially for some people. But are more people turning to yoga to help them deal with the stress of this time, of these times? I think so. I mean, just looking at pure data, we saw a huge spike in the interest in yoga, the interest in online yoga, the interest in online yoga trainings um, during this time of the pandemic. A lot of that is because a lot of people who I think didn't consider studying online suddenly were sort of forced to because there was no other yes option. of course <laughs> but i do think there's a bigger theme of people realizing that we need support structures we need a home practice more than ever that really supports us uh during these times of intense stress and if you look at everything with yoga from you know the the 1950s until now it has only grown it has never dipped whether we look at, you know, like the success of Lululemon or yoga studios or the interest in the keyword online. I mean, it just goes up and up and up because I think it's just becoming more mainstream and more and more people are figuring out that they can kind of connect with it in whatever way they, they want. And that it's really like the ultimate life hack to deal with uncertainty, anxiety, <laughs> and, you know, coming back to the breathing and all the science that's backing up how important that is. So I think uh, it's growing because of the pandemic, but it was growing before that. And I think it's just going to keep growing. Well, I think so, too. And as I shared earlier with you before we started recording the interview, I run a nonprofit organization whose focus is on obesity prevention for families, especially children. Do you recommend yoga for children as well? And if so, what age should parents introduce yoga to their kids? I definitely recommend yoga for kids. I do yoga with uh, my, my own. It's wonderful, wonderful. And you can just introduce it simply by inviting, like, I mean, even when you just invite a child or anyone to take a deep breath, like that's yoga, right? Or that, that's a core <laughs> yoga concept. So um, for kids, I think what works best is, um, or for little kids is to, you know, do the different poses that relate to the different animals, like, you know, lion's pose or butterfly pose. Ah. They absolutely love that because it's just like you're playing around on the floor and, um, you know, kind of introducing them to the idea of moving their body. And, um, and then songs and music are a wonderful, wonderful way. There's so many great yoga kids albums um, that, again, just get kids like moving, acting like animals. And um, and then before bed is always a really nice time. Like I always invite my son to do deep breathing with me before bed. He doesn't even know we're doing yoga, right? I just, we do deep breathing. <laughs> yeah. I put my hand on his belly. I encourage him to breathe into his belly. Um, something we see with people who have different medical conditions or maybe are struggling with obesity is often that they're a reciprocal inhibited breather. So if you're a reciprocal inhibited breather, what that means is your diaphragm isn't operating in a way that's um, the most anatomically efficient for your body. And it means that you're not getting as much uh, oxygen, as much breath as you could be. Um, it's like you're getting 20 or 30% instead of like say 80 or 90% um, each time you breathe in, which leads to short, shallow, rapid breathing over time that can just end up feeling normal unless we kind of uh, counteract and try to correct that. So people can Google or look up diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing, but that's something that I would work on for yourself, but also really with your kids because it calms them down. 
and it's kind of ensuring that they're going to have a breath pattern that, uh, and what's interesting is breathing in this way has actually been linked to reducing obesity, um, doing this, uh, really? yeah, uh, and restorative yeah. yoga as well. There's some great studies on this. So I think a big takeaway for the obesity focus is like, it doesn't have to be hardcore athletic yoga that helps, uh, reduce or helps aids in weight loss, let's say actually these restorative, simply lying down, focusing on your breath-based practices have a huge effect as well in weight loss. Yeah, it's incredible. This was an awesome interview, Brett. Where can my listeners find out more about Brett Larkin? So you can simply Google my name, Brett Larkin. You'll find YouTube videos. You'll find our website. Yeah, or upliftedyoga.com will also to kind of our members area. I have over a thousand free videos on YouTube so you can practice with me anytime. And then if you want to go deeper, we have so many courses and uh, designed experiences with a lot of interaction for both students, the student community, and people who are looking to teach. So that's, uh, that would be the next step. I'd love to practice with some of your listeners on YouTube. So hopefully they can look me up, Brett Larkin, and uh, find a class that works for them. And on social media. Yeah, uh, mainly YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So, yep, and same, it's Brett Larkin Yoga. We'll get you there. Perfect. Perfect. Now, Brett Larkin, let me just say, on behalf of my organization, Body Scope of New York, and Six Weeks of Fitness, I truly want to thank you for coming on my show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You are amazing. To my listeners, I truly hope this program was informative encouraging and inspiring and that you will continue tuning in to our six weeks of fitness podcast and if you have any questions comments or suggestions for the show please leave them on my six weeks of fitness blog at www.sixweeksoffitness.com or email me at vince at sixweeks.com take care bye bye